I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about the year 1995. Brace yourselves, see our heads, because joining us as always is our reigning draft champion, Chris Ryan. He's here <laughs> for the 1995 movie draft. It's all coming up right now on The Big Picture. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, Amanda, and welcome back, Chris Ryan. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Winning are, suits me. Yeah, we are at the absolute. Well. We are at the end of the year, Chris, and the only way to send this year out this this hell year is to hopefully defeat you in a movie draft. I'm glad you're back here. Before we get into it, though, I want to talk about something that I it feels really important with both of you guys, which is that um, Amanda, there is a there is a revolution, there is a movement rising around Chris Ryan, and um, you know, Chris orchestrated it. He paid for uh, millions of bots <laughs> around the world, and he has gathered these bots on Reddit, on Twitter, and um, the bots are getting a little aggressive. Are they? And and I I think the tide is turning on what seemed like a heartwarming bit into something that seems cult-like to me. What's going on? Amanda, I know you're largely off social media, but what level of awareness do you have of what's going on around Chris Ryan right now and, and his followers? I know what you guys text me on like Saturday night. Like I'll be having a nice dinner with my husband and then I check my phone and it's like 45 links to various social media posts <laughs> that you guys have shared. And then I read them aloud and I chuckle and then I carry on with my life. That's um. I wish I could have that relationship to it. Unfortunately, you know, Chris. I don't. Are you more of a a Rasputin figure, or or you know, are you more of a an LBJ? Like, how do you see yourself in like the a rise master to power? Of the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I just want to say one thing in all sincerity. Doing the big picture is one of the joys of my life, and yeah. it's really actually been one of the highlights of a really long testing year is to talk about movies with you guys. And I think once you finish the podcast, you know, it's just like when like Dylan finishes Highway 61 and visited. <laughs> it's just out there, man. It's just out there. And then what people do with that, that's the magic, you know, and what people do with this pod and what people do with my draft picks and what my sort of ideology is on this podcast. I can't control that, you know, <laughs> Any more than Dylan could control what happened, you know, after he he went electric. 
Chris, I'm, I'm glad to see that you are, are handling this attention so gracefully, you know, and with such dignity and that you have perspective on what you've been building here with your revolution. Um, well, I that's like- the, here's the thing is like, if I'm following the Dylan track, I have no choice but in 21 to fake my own death and then come back even stronger in 22. Chris, you're the only person that's saying you're following the Dylan track. You literally just <laughs> made that up. I admire your chutzpah, but no one is saying you're Bob Dylan. Maybe you are the Bob Dylan of podcasting. Do you think you are? No, I don't. Okay. I think I'm like the Jackson Brown of podcasting or something. <laughs> that's right. You are the pretender, my friend. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about 1995. We wanted to mix things up at the end of the year. Uh, we've been doing movie drafts for the better part of six months now, and we've gone through... 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 14. And rather than go right to 15, we thought we would go back into the past. 1995 is a great year for movies. I would say we were planning to do many of those movies on the rewatchables, and we ultimately decided not to do too many of them, in part because of COVID-19. So we're going to get a chance to reflect on some of them. There's a couple here that are all-time Chris Ryan classics. There's a couple here that I think are all-time Amanda Dobbins classics as well. Um, Let's start with some personal reflections. Amanda, who, who were you in 1995? What were you doing? Oh um, well, I was 10 years old, turning Beautiful. 11. So I know, Chris, Chris, the age gap between us is going to be really stark here. And I think that's okay. Um, I So I counted and I think I was in fifth grade and then started like sixth grade at the end of the year. Is that right? Is that how grades work? I don't know. Someone can, I think so. like an elementary school person can correct me. Um, I think this was like my ultimate movie year. This is certainly the most formative movie year in my life. And I don't know whether it's kind of the mix of movies that were released. And I do think someone should have recorded me yesterday just reading the Wikipedia page of 1995 in film and being like, oh my God, and that was this year too? And that was this year? It was like a, it was a surprise and a delight. But I guess there are a lot of movies that mean a lot to me, Sean, as you mentioned, which I'm going to try not to give away. Though, and then I think it was just also in my life when I started seeing movies. Like, I don't have the same connection with 1994 movies. Like, I, you know, and I wasn't really like old enough for Pulp Fiction at the age of nine or 10. Um, so, this is maybe the year when my age and kind of like 90s studio greatness met. And certainly it just shapes like everything that we do on this podcast and also has shaped. You know, not to get too emotional, but I, I have like a real connection to a lot of these. And if you guys take them away from me, I'm going to be fucking pissed at you. That's ex- really exciting. Amanda, before I ask Chris his personal reflections, what kind of a 10 year old were you? Were you a good hang at 10 years old? <laughs> no, I was trying to think. I don't Were you know not? I don't I don't know. 10 has been really hard. I was thinking I don't think I had contacts yet. So I had like really, really big glasses. Like, I don't know for whatever reason, like we didn't have the technology to have like normal sized glasses. And so, and they were kind of like this blue clear color. And I had pretty strict parents. So I like really did all of my homework. And then I did like all of my extracurriculars. I don't think I was like a bad hang, but I hadn't really unlocked the, my inner Amanda, if you will. And maybe some of these movies helped with that process. So maybe 1995 is a year that everybody else would like to blame for, you know, what it it has wrought in regards to me. That's a heartwarming story. Chris, in 1995, you were 42 years old. Um, So what what kind of a 42 year old were you? (laughs) It's like season five of The Wire. You know, it's just ink stained hands as I... No, I was, uh, this was best of times, worst of times year for me. It's one of the most memorable years of my life. 
I graduated high school uh, in 1995. And um, I really, really, really liked my senior year of high school quite a bit. Um, But I didn't do any work, really. You know, like I basically just worked hard in English class and kind of tried to skate by and everything else. So I didn't get get into like any like colleges that I wanted to. So I wound up going to Temple, which is a school in Philly, which is quite a great university, but is like, you know, a local school uh, by where I grew up in Philly and lived at home for the first year of college. So basically I went from um, like graduating the sum, like that spring before you graduate is just like, I think one of the more memorable times for people's lives because it's like, you're just, that's the dazed and confused moment. Um, and then all my friends left at the end of the summer. And I was like basically alone in Philly at this college. But I think that that those big swings, you know, going from this sort of like very like sensory overload time at the end of high school to a lot of like contemplation during my first year of college and trying to decide who I wanted to be opened me up to a lot of things. And the thing I remember most about 95 really is the feeling of discovery. You know, um, this was a time when I think unlike now, and if I want to see all the, a list of all the movies that came out in 1995 and when they came out and what the box office was and what was on their soundtracks and what those directors went on to do, I can do that in 30 seconds on the internet. But back then, I would find out about things in these really piecemeal, uh, nonlinear ways through reading little interviews in Entertainment Weekly or like the Philadelphia Inquirer had like a news and notes column on Sundays that would be like, this movie's in production or this movie is going to have a sequel or word has it that Quentin Tarantino is thinking about making an Elmore Leonard book next next time or something like that. And that's how I found a lot of like my favorite art. Uh, and going to video stores and talking to video store clerks. And and so this time period and this year specifically, like kind of, you know, it, it really captures a lot of that. There's like these great blockbusters, but there's also these really, really awesome genre movies that were coming out of the independent cinema movement. And it was just a, a fantastic time to be in your late teens. So Amanda, you were uh, doing all your homework and all your extracurriculars and you had mm-hmm. giant oversized Coke bottle glasses and you were bed hang. And Chris, you were a stay-at-home freshman college loser hanging out with video clerks. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I love Wait. you both so much. That's very Thank that's you. very sweet of you. Wait, can Chris, are you not gonna do your yearbook? You're not gonna I'll show share, I mean because yeah, I don't think we're highlights? showing this on video, but let me just show Right. But you can at least like describe it and yeah. uh so my and yearbook share the page. quote. From this year, I went to a school called Friend Select in Philadelphia. This like this both warms and hurts my heart. It's very sweet. And I basically was trying. I was just like, I was really trying to kick as much Ferris Bueller energy as I could. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a. Here's my picture. Right. You're so you're posing under a sign for a real estate listing by a Chris Ryan, who's not you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then there's another picture of me in Disney World with sunglasses on, just being like pimp. You know, <laughs> Do, doing but you're doing the Chris Ryan pose, which is the are you not entertained? Russell Crowe <laughs> spinning in the Coliseum pose yeah. hands astride to the air, yeah. um, which is a move that you do to this day. When you if you chip out from 15 yards, what does Chris Ryan do? He drops the club, raises both hands in the air. I did it. I'm the fucking man. <laughs> so it's good to know. We never really change. Right. And I would just uh, say I, I just paid page past a couple of people who were in my class then, and I had a couple of friends who like were movie obsessives with me. And we were trying to like kind of build out our knowledge of movies together, whether it was going to 
the Ritz and seeing kind of like the artier movies or renting stuff from TLA, which was this amazing video store in Philadelphia and like kind of going through film history. So it was a really exciting time. And then this is going to be an exciting draft. Sean, who was Sean? Who was Sean in 1995, man? Well, I, I see a little bit of myself in both of your stories because I'm, I'm between you guys in age. And so I was not, not completely controlled by my parents and what my parents wanted for me the way you are when you're 10 years old. But I was also not free to roam the way that you were, Chris. I, my parents split up around 11 or 12 years old. And I remember that one of my reactions to that was to just borrow into my interests as deeply as I could, which has obviously resulted in me doing a lot of this work for a living. And so, Amanda, you mentioned Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, as I've mentioned on the show, like a real catalyzing agent of my life. That was a movie that like basically changed mm-hmm. what I thought about every day. And um, I think that this was basically the sequel to that, that experience, where in 1995, Chris, you mentioned Elmore Leonard. Get Shorty comes out this year. That mm-hmm. actually triggered me reading all the Elmore Leonard novels, and then he became a big interest of mine, which I think is one of the reasons you and I have been so close, Chris. Um, and I, I have the same relationship. I think that there, this is where I discovered that there were two versions of Hollywood and Hollywood storytelling. There was the one that was the stuff that I liked, which was Seven, The Usual Suspects, Get Shorty, these very specific kind of, you know, pretty masculine, mainstream, but cool seeming, bridging the divide between art house, indie, and mainstream movie going. And then there was like the Oscar industrial complex. And I remember specifically the Oscars this year coming out and, and being baffled, being like, what is Il Postino? Yeah. What is Sense and Sensibility? What Rude. is Living Las Vegas? But it, not, not, not even as a judgment. I was, I was a 12-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy. Just imagining Amanda at 10 with Coke bottle glasses being like, <laughs> grow up! <laughs> I'm sure she was doing that to many a young yeah. boy. Um, but... The, the general confusion that I think came from that. Um, as a person, I, I don't know. I was a loser when I was 13 years old. I, I was still five foot two. I grew like 10 inches oh. in, in one year. Um, I, was, I hated I, guys like you. Because I was like, <laughs> up until like sophomore year, like I was essentially a small forward. You know, like we were all we were all in the same gang. And then like dickheads like you grew 10 inches. It was pretty sweet. I got to say. When I had the, the growth <laughs> spurt over the summer, that was really cool. It was much easier to talk to girls just much easier to be alive, honestly. I didn't great. have any problem with girls. I just wish I could have... We I, know, I just, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard the stories. What stories? I don't know. It's just like, I mean... You make it sound it, like it's like an urban legend. Those are no, real romances. It's, like, it's like you just love to talk about your baseball career and I don't, high school girlfriends. I don't. Yeah. These are just I, recollections. And I love the stories. I can't wait for the one-man show. Um. Sean, your your Elmore Leonard point is, is it just triggered a memory in me. Is I I the the funny thing is how you would find out about that stuff. Like I remember, there's this director who's kind of a little bit been lost to time named Nick Gomez who made a movie called Laws of Gravity in the early '90s. It was really cool, gritty New York crime movie, and I remember being really excited by that. I saw that, and I read an interview with him when he put out this movie in '95 called New Jersey Drive. Um, or maybe it was before that. It was actually it must have been before that because. And he was talking about like what he was going to do after Laws of Gravity. I think he had done an episode of Homicide Life on the Street. And there was like, Nick Gomez is going to be the next Martin Scorsese. And somebody in this interview, he asked him, would you direct Clockers? And he was like, Clockers? Well, Clockers, that's Richard Price. And I was like, who's, who's Richard Price? And that's how I, like, I went and bought the giant hardcover 
copy of Clockers with like the neon pink lettering on the cover. And that's how I found Richard Price. And that's how I like got introduced to this whole world of crime fiction. So it was so cool how you would just like step into a side door down a hallway back then and then just be introduced to like a whole new kind of stuff. I'm sure that happened to you, Mandy, even at that age. Yeah, I was going to say, I. It's interesting. At some point, I did become an Entertainment Weekly head like the the rest of us. I think like anyone who is a pop culture journalist of our generation, like grew up reading that every week. But I, I don't know if it was 95. And I was a bit beholden to the things that either my parents told me about or just kind of the really mainstream things, the things that you could find at like the mall movie theater in Atlanta, because I wasn't like searching out the indie, the art house theaters or anything. But even in that mainstream year, 1995 is like, I literally think the year that I learned about Jane Austen because no one would have given me Pride and Prejudice at the age of 10 or 11. But I saw both uh, Clueless and Sense and Sensibility this year and was like, wait, so tell me more. What's going on here? And I remember, you know, I have still the, the trade paperback edition of Sense and Sensibility that I read and like did not understand after seeing this movie in 1995. And that's, you know, I mean, Jane Austen is like one of the most influential uh, English language novelists in the Western canon, you know, anyway, in and of all time. And it's discovering it is not like discovering something unknown. But to me, it was pretty unknown. Yeah. Discovering stuff without the internet back then had like a certain there was there was a little bit of just the text, ma'am, you know, like you either had the movie or the book. And you had like a little bit of stuff around it, but there wasn't like this time-consuming box that you could just spend all your time on where you could become kind of an expert on something, but not really, you know, <laughs> like, which is sort of what we, we do now. Yeah, well, when I, was, when I was 13, I didn't have any money, like no money to spend. So yeah. the only way I could get Elmore Leonard books was by going to the library. I spent yeah. a lot of time in the library between the ages of like eight and 12 discovering stuff. And like the library had rum punch, but didn't have pronto. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't, there, there was were a certain used things you couldn't get your hands on, on. on down the street on Fairman Avenue for me where it would, and it would just be like, I would go down there with five bucks, but some of those books were like 50 cents. So the, and I would just like kind of sit there for hours trying to decide what to spend $5 on and come back with like three crime novels that I would just like, like ingest. Yeah. These kids with their Spotify and their Netflix, they don't understand. There was a lot of work that went into finding this stuff. Yeah. This movie draft is born of, of blood and tears. <laughs> Hours spent in used bookstores yeah. and reading Entertainment Weekly. We earned it, guys. Uh, okay. So very quickly, like this is generally considered one of the great movie years, uh, I think, by people of our generation. Because it, I think it blends both of the, like really all of our interests. And thus, I think, a kind of what mainstream movies have been for the past 25 years. And specifically... Um, 1990s movies, which was this fusion of high-toned, big, fancy studio stuff, plus this incursion of indie movies, plus a rise of interest in foreign language and art house films. And so you had this really kind of special, I don't know, you know, this this friction, this beautiful experience where I, I'll, I'll be curious if we're going to even come close to naming with all of our picks what feels representative of the year. I feel like the honorable mentions portion of this conversation uh, may be actually longer than the drafting. But any other observations or things you want to say about 95 before we get started with our picks? In terms of putting the draft together, a really interesting and complicated year. I mean, I have a list of like 40 movies eligible for certain categories and then sequels 
you know, there aren't that many. There are yeah. some. It's not like we just invented sequels 10 years ago. Like Hollywood's been doing it forever, but it's not like, say, 2013 in terms of the variety of things to choose from. And, you know, also in the animated foreign category, I was 10 years old, so I wasn't like, I didn't see Il Postino. So that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. So I, we're not, I would argue that they're not like a lot of the foreign films from that. That this year are not like dynamite either. There's only a few that I think are any good. Um, so we're not going to change any of the categories. We're going to tweak one rule, which because of the nature of the box office 25 years ago and the rates of inflation that we've been experiencing over those years, uh, we're going to lower the threshold from 100 million domestic box office gross to 75 million domestic box office gross to give us closer to 15 or 18 choices in that category and make it a little bit more fun. But we're not going to change the categories. And for those of you who have never heard a movie draft, here are the categories. Drama, comedy or horror, blockbuster, aforementioned, animated or foreign language, sequel, and wild card. Are you guys ready to draft? Yes. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, let's bring in Bobby Wagner to help us determine our draft order. Bob, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, although before I spin this wheel here, this random spinner wheel that I have all of your names on, since I don't have my Scrabble tiles, I am away from my home. I, I did want to say that actually Larry Boa was on the line, and Sean, he was saying that he wanted uh, his rant about how the 90s were harder and better back. <laughs> well, uh, the 90s were, were no better for the New York Mets, unfortunately. So this, this is all moot. Okay, here we go. The wheel is spinning. First up is Amanda Dobbins. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Congratulations to Amanda. We are spinning again to determine who will go second in this draft order. And it has landed on Chris Ryan. Sean, you're back at the hot corner third. Wow. Just like Larry Boa. (laughs) I I think that if we did... I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call it advanced analytics, but if we looked at this, I wonder how many times the third drafter wins because they get that 
they get that double draft right there. This guy gets Daryl Morey in Houston er, in Philly for one month, and he's talking about advanced analytics in the movie draft. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, one win, and it's all gone to your head, bro. Just, I watched Moneyball last night. <laughs> Chris, how many how many interns do you have building the CR R and D lab right now? Like, <laughs> like 12, 26? How many people? How many desperate Look, young would be podcasters have been cracking love, the numbers for you? I love scouting talent. Well, Amanda, this is your time. Yeah, I'm pleased because there was one thing that I knew I needed to do early. And I was very nervous. And frankly, I'm, I might be taking this from Chris. And Chris, I love you. Uh, and I'm sorry. But in the blockbuster category, I will be taking Apollo 13. That's totally uh, fine. Amanda goes to space camp, finally. I don't know why I love... I actually do know why I love this movie so much. To me, this is like peak 90s studio Hollywood movie. Best Ron Howard movie. My favorite Tom Hanks performance. It is like suspense, but without scary stuff jumping out at you. It's a movie about fear, but not fear of the unknown fear of things that can go wrong in your everyday life, which speaks to me. Uh, it is, uh, and then it's about problem solving. And it's like, if it's okay, if we work together, we're just going to methodically go through all of this stuff and competence will win the day. Spoiler alert, I guess, if you don't know the ending to Apollo 13. I think it does a great job of doing both the procedural and the emotional, which is to say that every single time I watch the scene of them in the control room waiting for Apollo 13 to re-enter, mm -hmm. like I've seen that scene, no joke, at least a hundred times. I've seen this movie at least a hundred times because I had it on VHS and I read the book and I invested and I cry every single time when they finally, you know, make it in. And then Ed Harris adjusts his vest and like wipes the single tear from his eye. And you're just like, holy shit, look at what we can do together. I think also James Horner's score in this movie awesome. is extraordinary. They play it at the arc light sometimes before like movies start in the dome. And I just get really emotional again. I think this is like a great big ticket Hollywood movie and also an example of like a young person just connecting to something. And I, it just got under my skin for whatever reason. And I love it. You you have become a from out of your chrysalis. You become a butterfly with your first pick. This was I didn't even write this movie down on my long yeah. list because I think I would have not been able to host a podcast with you in the future if I didn't let you have this movie. So I'm glad you got number one and you got to get it fair and square. Thank Cr you, Chris. Yeah, honestly, there's a movie on the board right now that I think is really your Apollo 13. And I'm very curious to see if you'll take it or not right it's now. Not only, uh, it's not only my Apollo 13, it is literally my moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's heat. Yeah. And I'm going to put this in drama. Fun fact, actually saw this film. I did some, some little like Night of the Gun personal journalism and kind of like track back. I saw this movie in 96. So I think that this came out in mid-December, late December in 2000, or 1995, but I saw it during the blizzard of 96, twice. I had this experience where I saw it once and then the blizzard hit and I walked back. I saw it twice in one weekend and I walked like this insane stretch of Philadelphia to get down to Riverview to see it again. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't think that anyone with a Ringer podcast subscription needs to hear me go on and on about heat again, but movie like... I think really opened up my eyes along with Pulp Fiction to like the possibilities of like genre filmmaking and like what you could do on like a 
with like a, just a crime story, like wh- how how deep you could go, how how wide you could go, and it's still one of the most thrilling crime films you can you can put on at any time. So heat. Um, I appreciate you guys sharing all your personal reflections at the top of this podcast. I don't understand why both of you just delivered these incredibly sober, critical analyses of the two movies that are the most important to you in the world. No screaming, no yelling, no emotional exaltation. You were just like, the thing about Heat is this it's is a what truly extraordinary the dr- so analysis. I was like, send me to space camp. Please send me to space camp. I found out that there's a NASA lab like 10 miles from my home. <laughs> That's I'm leaving after this podcast. I'm fucking going to space camp with Kevin Bacon. Do you want great. me to talk about like what it was like to be 17 and have Al Pacino be like, she's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> Your head is way up in it. <laughs> Alone in a movie theater in Philadelphia during the blizzard of 96. That's, That's what it was. Yeah, that there. We both thank, yelled. Space thank camp. You guys for stepping she's got up. a great thank ass. You. Yeah. You have arrived at the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, so I have two picks. Yeah. And boy, there are a lot of good movies this year. Strategy for this one is tough, right? Because that first pick, Amanda, is that's a reflection of yourself and also a good pick. Chris, Heat is a reflection of yourself and also a good pick. My first pick, I think, has to be a reflection of myself. And since I am um, a widely known serial killer, my first pick is going to be Seven, uh, which is a film directed by David Fincher. We spoke about it on the Rewatchables earlier this year. This is Fincher's breakthrough after the struggles of Alien 3. It's just a genuinely amazing movie. I am choosing this movie in the blockbuster category and not in the drama category. Yeah. But in making that clear. So mm-hmm. there's some strategy here. I feel very similarly talking about Seven as Chris does talking about Heat. We talked about Fincher a ton this year because of Mank. We've talked about Seven at great length over the years on this podcast. No brainer for me. My next pick is Toy Story. Um, another movie that I've talked about on the Rewatchables. Another movie that I am very comfortable saying I think is an absolute game-changing movie in the history of movies. I'm choosing it in animated foreign language for a variety of reasons. It's an emotional pick, but also strategy because this is tough sledding in animated foreign language this year. And hopefully I'm leaving you guys holding the bag a little bit by selecting one of my favorite movies, Toy Story. That's it. That was a... Can we give you the same feedback you gave us? That was real robot talking about like the animated movie that you've made me listen to you talk about for literally 25 years. I I wish I could be the living embodiment of the Chris Evans tweet about the Buzz Lightyear movie. <laughs> you know, like this is the podcast about the draft pick of Buzz Lightyear. This is not the real Buzz Lightyear, but the Buzz Lightyear yeah. draft pick. I, this is but, about what Sean Fennessy's origin story as a boy falling in love with this draft pick. It's hard to try to win this game while also being emotional. That's the challenge. And that's why Chris Ryan has faltered so many times over the years, you know, because Chris know, has gone with his heart. So I last draft, what was the last draft? 15? 14. 14. 14, I was almost too good. There was like, I, well, what? no, because like I played it too straight, you know, like I, mm, I think I, I, see. I, 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 I hasn't had, I, I missed the sensation of you guys screaming at me. So I want to see if you're going to do it on this pick. Mm-hmm. Okay. First, so- so I have heat and drama, mm-hmm. and it's my pick, right? It is your pick. And for a sequel, I'm going Die Hard with a Vengeance. God damn it! God, yeah, obviously damn it. you are, Chris. I was going to oh. be mad if you didn't. I do thought because I, I didn't know if you guys thought I'd be reaching. I was hoping I could. I could. I could. I was hoping you would make a mistake. What? No, because see, here's the thing. I think that we tend to overemphasize drama and blockbuster and drafts, mm-hmm. and then I think that these smaller categories, it's like if you go too early on them, you kind of fuck up. But I, so I, I didn't want to go, obviously I wanted to get heat, 
But Die Hard with a Vengeance is, is just a fucking great movie. What a great summer movie. Uh, a completely like hungover, you know, just sweltering New York summer day. Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis running around with John McTiernan back in control, doing like verite, like quasi Sidney Lumet New York shit. And Jeremy Irons comes through like not quite as good as Rickman, but like in the same ballpark. I had a really, really big crush on Sam Phillips, the blonde terrorist in this movie. Um, That's really it, weird, Chris. What I, you just said. I know, <laughs> I know. And then it kind of, it kind of falls apart as they get into the like the driving under the uh, Sawmill River Parkway part. Um, once they get past Yankee Stadium, it kind of doesn't stop making sense, and then they wind up in like a, a boat somewhere. But God, the first like hour and a half of this movie are absolutely perfect. I am obsessed with this movie, and I always have been. This is a movie that I watched on HBO probably three hundred times. Yeah, and. We talked about it a lot over the years. Quentin Tarantino talked to us a lot about it because um, Sam Jackson starred in this movie alongside Bruce Willis. And that part, I think, was supposed to go to Lawrence Fishburne. And for a variety of reasons, it did not when he told that great Fishburne story, I think, on the yeah. King of New York episode of the show. And it started out as this, as Simon says, right, as a not a John McClane mm-hmm. movie, which is one of the great script tidbits of ho- in Hollywood history. And so like half of the movie is basically a puzzle movie. Fucking love puzzle movies where they have to solve the water and the jugs and move in three gallons and five gallons. That whole bit. Wonderful stuff. Love that pick. Okay, man. All the, all the stuff with like, what's the fastest way south? Like take 8th Avenue or 5th Avenue. He's like, no, we're going through the park. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun movie. Uh, all right, Amanda, you're up. I don't know where you're going with this one. Yeah, I I want to thank you guys because strategically, I kind of feel like you've set me free because hmm. I feel like there was one obvious sequel, which was Die Hard with Vengeance, with which Chris took, and there was one obviously obvious animated movie, which was Toy Story, and I I can't take those, so now I can just kind of, you know, be free and and sing. So I have two picks. My first is going to be in the comedy category, and this is quite obvious, but it is Clueless. Which, you know, I I think I have talked a lot about it on this podcast. I think, Sean, that's like my personal Pulp Fiction moment in terms of going to the movies and being like, oh, this is what this can be. And I think that's true of like what a movie can be. I think that's true of, of what like comedy could be and humor. I didn't know that you could just like make fun of people in this way. I didn't know what satire was. I think that's true in terms of learning about Jane Austen. I still think Clueless is the best Jane Austen adaptation, and I've seen them all. And I think it probably taught me a lot about high school, too. I'm glad that I saw Clueless before I got to high school. I felt a little bit better about everything that was going on around me and had a like a little bit more understanding. I just, you know, a, a triumph and and means a lot to me. So Clueless is my comedy pick. And then for drama, I'm doing a movie that was released in 1995, but I didn't see for a decade later, but that's okay. Uh, it's Kicking and Screaming, um, which I'm taking because I feel like I, as a younger person, always get cut out of the Kicking and Screaming conversation. I just like to say it means a lot to millennials too. You see this movie in college whenever you're in college, and it still speaks to that amazing moment. And Still a similar thing of, I think this was the first uh, Noah Baumbach movie that I saw. And that's someone whose career, you know, I've since kind of grown up with. And probably one of the first kind of indie movies, you know, where like 
an awareness that this was an indie movie and this is like different from mainstream cinema and thinking about kind of where things come from and uh and and just spoke to a certain time in my life and also a, you know it is a very funny movie even though i think it's i'm putting it in the drama category and it is ultimately a drama and a romance um but just great stuff it's nice to find people who also like to you know communicate their repressed emotions through pop cultural references and cynical humor um so that's it. Kicking Funny and how you found yourself here on this yeah, podcast. So exactly. you, you're taking kicking and screaming in the drama category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll allow it. Chris, I, are you we going to get through this podcast without me picking a movie and Amanda screaming, fuck? I think so. I, like, we <laughs> might that actually. on two separate tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's sweet. And like what I like about this year is that we do have a lot of shared overlap in this year but also there's so much Chris stuff and really so much Sean stuff that I think we probably can get to the place we're all happy with we're not gonna fight yeah being really hateful I think if you guys had taken Clueless or Apollo 13 for me I would have been hateful towards you but it's actually broken right I think you choosing first yeah is allowing for it I don't maybe we don't need so much commentary about the draft while it's still unfolding Chris there's still plenty of time for you to choose while you were sleeping right now so why don't you go ahead and take it (laughs) Um, for, so I have my drama, I have my, uh, sequel and for blockbuster, I'm going to pick Crimson Tide. Mm. Mm. So, uh, I'm a fucking submarine aficionado. I love submarine <laughs> movies. Uh, and <laughs> meaning like you've been studying the history of the submarine. Yeah. You know, as a project during COVID, I just thought I would get super <laughs> into U-boats. Um, no, I, uh, this movie is. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino, um, we, we, you know, uh, he did a, a polish on this and this is, this, that was actually one of the first things I perked up about like with this movie was like that it was like somehow cooler than all other action movies because Tarantino had, had sort of blessed it a little bit. Doesn't even matter. It's, uh, it's just an absolutely perfect movie with two perfect performances from Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. I defy you to watch this movie and not get sucked in no matter like when you turn it on. There are like three or four or five moments in this movie that like sometimes if I'm bored, I will just dial up on YouTube to like make myself feel again, you know, just to just get the Lippins on or stallions running. And uh, yeah, so Crimson Tide is my blockbuster. Chris, you are this draft pick is the embodiment of you so far. Um, this I, is wild right now. This is uh, wild. <laughs> OK, um, I'm feeling I'm feeling good about where I'm at. I've got two picks for my first pick. I'm selecting the great Martin Scorsese's Casino. An absolute epic, underrated film relative to the recent success of Goodfellas. But I think if Goodfellas is 100%, Casino is 99.6% in terms of greatness, quality, depth, fun, um, performances, music, Camera movement, Amanda. The incredible camera shots. movement through the casino. It's, it's, the really, shots. Really, it's very sweet for young Sean to learn about camera movement. I'm so excited for you. I love cameras. So uh, my here's how I saw this movie. Um, I My uncle worked for uh, a, a liquor company that, was, um, that also owned Universal. And so uh, my uncle lived in California. I would fly to California, you know, once every few years to visit him and hang out with my cousins. And I got a little bit of access to Hollywood when I was there. When I was 16, I, I got to go to a movie premiere for my birthday, which was really cool. For You can imagine for a loser like me what a big deal that was. But when I was 13, um, I remember being at his house and 
I saw a box set of VHS cassettes in his TV console. And I was like, what is that box set? Because it looked like a bunch of different movies that had nothing to do with each other, except for the fact that they had been released all in the same year. And this was, these were the Academy screeners that were sent out to people who worked in the industry. And in that Academy screener set was Casino. And I was like, what is this? I pulled it out and showed it to him. And I was like, what is this? And he was like, that's Casino. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. And I was like, I, I, just by looking at the picture on the, on the VHS box, I was like, I need this. I need to watch this. I need to own this. And he was like, take it. It's yours. And I, I held on to that cassette for years and years and watched it over and over again. I think I may, it's possible that I've seen that. I saw this before Goodfellas. Yeah. But I, I, I love Casino. I think it's absolutely amazing movie. So I'm grateful to take it in drama. I have another pick now. We're and, so um, happy. Everybody's so happy with yeah. that. I know. This is going so well. Uh, an equal cinematic achievement, I would say, to Casino is the 1995 comedy Billy Madison. Um, <laughs> waiting for this. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, that's great. Of course you should take this. Which is a film that I worship and have always worshipped. And uh, I can't believe I'm getting Martin Scorsese and Adam Sandler in the same turn. This is huge for me. Huge for 13-year-old me. Um, Billy Madison, let me just tell you, it holds up. Still funny. Amanda, there are so many times when you and I are doing a podcast and you're saying something, you're being like 9% rude to me. And I just want to say, stop looking at me, Swan, because that <laughs> is what Billy Madison makes me think of all the time. Um, so I, I'm feeling good. I got a comedy. I got a drama. I got a blockbuster. Are, and I yeah, got an animated movie. Picks? My four picks are Casino, Billy Madison, Seven, and Toy Story. Oh, right. Wow. The Sean Fantasy experience. In, in, in truth. Chris Ryan, you're up. Can I ask a procedural question? Certainly. English language, if it's in English, it's, it, 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 you want foreign language, not foreign film, right? I believe the, the name of the category is foreign language. Yeah, okay. So it's what, my what's turn. A, what's an English language foreign film? You know, like a movie made in Scotland, you know? No, Chris. Like Braveheart? Come on. <laughs> no, I'm not doing big Braveheart. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. You can never take <laughs> can't believe my it. freedom. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, Chris, wait, before you pick, why? No one here is going to pick Braveheart. And yeah. uh, Bra- Braveheart yeah. won Best Picture this year yes. at the Oscars. Yeah. Why do you, why, what is it about Braveheart that we don't respect anymore? Is it, is it that Mel Gibson has had so many problems um, publicly because of his actions? Is it because the movie hasn't aged well or seems overwrought somehow? Like, why is it not? considered one of the greatest. I think that it was a, it was a, first of all, I have no fucking idea. Like, I have no idea why people all went, I mean, like, Braveheart is really, really violent. Like, it's really gory. I guess it it has a certain, like, great man biographical, like, historical epic element to it that it, it was essentially, like, it's like Lawrence of Arabia, but shot through the lens of, like, post- you know, I, I have no idea, really, honestly. But like Amanda, do you have a yeah? A brave well, heart? I think part of it is the Mel Gibson, which I'm I only know because there is the great joke in Clueless, another 1995 movie, where she's like quoting the the snooty brother's girlfriend, like misquotes Hamlet, and she's like, "I think I know Hamlet," and Cher is like, "Well, I know Mel Gibson movies," and I like Mel Gibson was at this point a, a, a major star, and then also like people like it when guys in historical costume just like kill each other violently. I mean, see also Game of Thrones. I feel like it was those two things. Yeah, that's probably that's got a lot to do with it. That's true. So does that mean, Chris, you're taking Braveheart? Uh, no. Um, okay, so I have to do 
got a couple here. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna avenge some some past wrongs on my part, and I'm gonna go wild card before sunrise. Mm. Oh yeah, good one. I fucked up last time when I could have uh, picked one of its sequels and sequels, and uh, I just want to make up for that. So we'll go wild card. We'll go before sunrise. Can I just say of all the CR head content, I've like. Everyone live blogging the moment when you picked Iron Man 3 instead of Before Midnight and everyone just sharing their own reactions. That was a beautiful experience. I will also say that as someone who is in a romantic relationship in 1995, this movie was very formative in like my ideas about like what that should look and feel and sound like. You know, like the kinds of things that I thought like you're supposed to talk to your girlfriend about her, the kinds of things that you're almost supposed to be like interested in as a young person were very much shaped by this movie. Um, are you trying to draw a direct comparison between yourself and Ethan Hawke again? <laughs> <laughs> How many times can one man try to say I'm just like Ethan Hawke on a podcast? That's an honest question for you. I mean, all, all allusions to Ethan Hawke content is how you are Ethan Hawke. When I watch Good Lord Bird, I think. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That's a that's really a good guy pick. committed to a bit. And that's just like me. No. I mean, like, many, anybody from that era would tell you the same thing, man. Those movies, like, that, that before sunrise is really, really formative. Why way. are you talking to Amanda and I like you're 28 years older than us? Well, she was 10, so I don't think she I, was just like, like... I didn't see Before Sunrise in 1995. By summer abroad. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, so Chris, you've taken Before Sunrise. Amanda, you now have two picks. Yes, I do. And I have... The three categories I have left are Wild Card, Sequel, and Animated. I feel very sure in one category, and I feel like things are going to get creative in the other two. <laughs> Lots of luck. Um, all right. I guess I'm just going to get sequel out of the way right now. And I, I, I have two options here. I don't really feel good about either of them. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Come on, Amanda. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Goldeneye. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, which was probably the first James Bond movie that I saw. I do not think it is the best James Bond movie. I do not think it's even like the top, what, 10 James Bond movies, 15. Yeah, but it inspired the greatest video game of all time. Yeah, that's true. I was true. just going to say that. It's an, it's not a very good movie at all, but it's a great no. video game. Yeah. Uh, and I would like also to honor, you know, my journey to Skyfall, one of the best movies ever, ever made. It started here at GoldenEye. So I'll take that. And then I'm just, I'm going to, do wild card because gotta do me and that's obviously gonna be sense and sensibility which is the ang lee's adaptation with the screenplay by emma thompson which sean and i talked about on a movie swap and is still whenever i'm feeling really down is the movie that i put on and it both comforts me and i think is just like a just an achievement it's absolutely beautiful if you've ever read like the diaries that emma thompson wrote and published along with a screenplay and you care. Uh, I really recommend those. I also reread those when I'm feeling down. Maybe I should reread those over the holidays. Um, yeah, but this is the type of movie that actually gets me to buy the screenplay and read the uh, diaries. I don't really know what else to say about it. Did you consider Father of the Bride too? I did. That was the other that I was okay. thinking about doing. And I just, it's it's good. Father of the Bride is one of my favorite Nancy Myers and, and Charles Shire productions, but 
Um, How about I, that Nancy Myers discourse going on last week? Yeah. Woo. That it, that was a discourse. There was sure, sure was some discourse about Nancy Myers. Yeah. We love Nancy Myers on we the do. big picture. That's that's yes. pretty much all we need to say about that. Uh, CR, you're up. Okay. For comedy, I was gonna. I, so I think sometimes when you include, there's a movie I was thinking of, but I would have to like really stretch the definition of comedy for it. So I'm gonna play it a little bit more straight, and I'm going to pick something that is not. I'm I'm just picking with my heart and I'm picking with I saw this movie like I think two or th- like two or three times in theaters. I loved it so much. I'm going with Mallrats. I fucking knew you were going to do that. That's yeah. amazing. Look, man, Mallrats is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't know that that it, whether or not it translates at all to people of this era like you know what I mean whether or not like I'm sure there's some not age great comedy in it, but I thought like at that time like that Jason Lee was like the funniest guy in the world. Sean, are you pulling out your fucking Criterion collection of Mallrats? This is uh, this was one of my first DVDs, Mallrats. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is a widescreen collector's edition. Uh, great film. Really love Kevin Smith. Um, just just awful Affleck in this movie. Um, really fun Shannon Doherty performance, and uh, this was his sequel to Clerks. And it was this idea that you could like kind of like he was obviously building this like weird cinematic New Jersey, this the view is skewers for for lack of a better term. Oh Why does I, this always happen to me? Like I get <laughs> off a podcast with you guys and it goes longer than an hour and then suddenly we're in that weird universe. Do you like mall rats? Me? Yeah. I don't really care about mall rats. Like okay. I like I I, I kind of feel like the Kevin Smith of it all. I did not see in 1995 because again I was 10. And when I caught up to it later, it was over. It was over. We had moved past it, and I could kind of identify like the consequences of this in the right. world that I was living in, and wanted no part of it. And I just kind of get like heebie-jeebies when you guys talk about it. But it's nice that it meant something to you, <laughs> Amanda. When when quarantine is over and we're all safe and healthy and have been vaccinated, you're coming over. Me and you are yeah. going to sit down and watch Mall Rats together. Yes. Okay. I'm sure yeah. I'll think it's funny. I listen. I like. It's actually not that funny. <laughs> I, I think I think I think Clerks is like far superior, um, and I think Chasing Amy, while problematic, is also superior. But Mallrats is the CR Kevin Smith movie, and always has been since I've known you. And I love your your affinity for it. I don't know what it is. Is it the comic book stuff? Is it the mall stuff? Like I, can't, what? I think it's the mall stuff. Malls it, were really like a like we used to just go to the Cherry Hill Mall a lot, and I was just like, this is a terrain I'm familiar with, you know. <laughs> It's how Amanda feels about Apollo 13. You know, it's like <laughs> um, I had Mallrats on my wild card long list, but it was like number eight. And you okay. definitely just picked it for comedy. So you are the absolute best, Chris. Um, I'm, I'm stalling because I don't know what I'm going to do here. I've got two picks left. I've got wild card and I've got sequel. Sequel is, is just a nightmare. This is just this is a disaster. When. When. Chris selected DH with a V and DH with a V is how me and all my friends referred to Die Hard with Vengeance when we were kids. Well, I actually, uh, I call it Simon Says. Most most people who are <laughs> strict originalists call it Simon Says. Yeah, you are truly the Scalia of the McLean universe. Uh, Every time. What do you want to, who, are you RBG of this podcast? Who do you want to be? I, What's your comp? Be, that would be great. Remember what you have come Amanda, Amanda other... Day O'Connor. Yeah, all right. 
How does this always happen? Like, if we did movie draft bingo, it would be like unfavorable comparisons to conservative Supreme Court justice. <laughs> like, check. I, I comped you to RBG. What are you talking I, about? I accept. It's, it's, it's the first time. Thank it's all, you. It's all gravy. I'm RIP the, I'm, legend. Literally. I'm, not being I'm, facetious. I'm the Sonia Sotomayor. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a revolutionary changing the game every day. Uh, okay. Fuck. God. I guess <sighs> sequel. Mm-hmm. I'm taking I'm taking Batman Forever, which is the Val Kilmer movie. Not that great, yeah, but is also kind of great. So Amanda and I last week, though we're recording this beforehand, did a, a George Clooney Hall of Fame, and so mm-hmm. I went back and I watched Batman and Robin, which is the film that followed Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin is a you know, quote unquote camp classic, but it's absolutely horrible. I mean, it is like unwatchable. So stupid and so bad and so chintzy. Batman Forever is the same director, Joel Schumacher, doing like art deco over the top, exploding what Tim Burton was trying to build in the Batman premise. And some of it works and some of it doesn't. But I really like Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones in the movie. And they play the two villains, the Riddler and Two-Face. and this is frankly a weak year for sequels. So I'm rocking with Batman for my other option. I feel like was Ace Ventura when nature calls, which I, you know, another Jim Carrey movie, which I just don't think is going to work. Maybe Candyman farewell to the flesh. This is a pretty tough sequel year land before time three. No, maybe it's not that it was a tough sequel year. Maybe it was like a better time for movies when that's, we didn't just yes, have that's it. Yes. five sequels. That's it, Amanda. You nailed it. Um, that's really the problem is, is that movies were absolutely incredible. They were at the, the center of yeah. culture. In 1995, and so we didn't. So have why to worry would you make the you know why would why would you make blank two when you can make dead presidents? You know. Before I choose my wildcard pick, let me ask you guys a, a question about future drafts. So, assuming this isn't going to be the last draft where we go into the deeper past, if we're if we were to do 1975 or 1985, would you eradicate the sequel category? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- or yes, I think we would make some adjustments because it's amazing. I also have like five comedy possibilities yeah and that just is in, in the this day, decade drafts, I, yeah I, there was also like, like not a comedy it was like the the split it was really difficult to leave off all the like the dramas and wild cards for me i have i had a lot of of, of really good dramas that i couldn't get in there obviously okay. i think if you go back in time you have to make adjustments for the fact that like you know prior to i don't know 1990 how many animated movies are there right well i mean disney is is operational. There but then are that's weird. Like movies. to just be like, Disney is operational. So let's give them an award in the movie draft when there's like incredible, like we should like b- come up with an independent movies one or a low budget one. Or I think that would be a better category personally, but you know, it's your draft. Uh, Chris, why don't you, why don't you powwow <laughs> with uh, your army and you guys can come up with some ideas. You could pitch them to me formally and get, we'll all get on a zoom together and it'll be a, a, a series of blank boxes from fake zoom accounts that you've created and, and you, and we'll, you we'll hash you act like we would have to go through with these democratic means where we can just go straight solar winds on you and just take this over. <laughs> okay. My wildcard pick is I, I got to pick the usual suspects. Um, just a movie that also I think just kind of flipped a switch in my brain about what movies could be and got me interested in a very particular kind of crime movie, heist movie, uh, twist ending kind of a film. Um, another movie that was talked about that you and Bill did on the rewatchables this year that obviously has a lot of complexity upon reflection because of 
the allegations against Brian Singer and the allegations against Kevin Spacey, but as a movie, still, I think works like a house on fire. I watched it this year and I think is still per- perfectly made. Perfectly made. Um, yeah. Incredible, like a diamond script from Chris McQuarrie, who has gone on to be one of the one of the major filmmakers in Hollywood. So that's my draft. Usual suspects. We're back to Chris. Uh, so I got to do um, foreign language or animated. Checkmate. Mm-hmm. Mine is both. Ghost in the Shell. And wow. interestingly enough, I would say I did not see Ghost in the Shell in 1995. In fact, I don't know that I've ever actually watched Ghost in the Shell this is in any other context, but it being on in the background at Library Bar in New York City. Oh my God. Oh my God. And just like night upon night of getting loaded there and then being like, what's that movie in the back? This is kind of sick. And it's like, that's Ghost in the Shell, man. So congratulations to them, to the to, to Library Bar and to Ghost in the Shell for for being my <laughs> animated foreign language pick. So is this the first pick ever made in this draft for a movie in which the selector has not heard any of the dialogue in the film? <laughs> I think so, right? Has anyone chosen a movie that be. they haven't actually really seen? It might be. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Chris, what do you think of the Ghost in the Shell remake with ScarJo? I didn't see that one yet. I'm oh. saving it. Saving it for Christmas Day. <laughs> okay. While all, you, all, right. all you betas are watching Wonder Woman, I'm going to be watching Scarlet. <laughs> Incredible oh, stuff. Amanda, it's down to you. Yeah, it is. And I've saved. This is where it really goes off the rails. But you know what? That's fine. We're doing this for content. I've saved animated foreign language film. Uh, as previously uh, discussed, I was 10 in 1995. And I could read, but wasn't really doing a lot of subtitles then. I just do want it on record that I could. Anyway, so we're going to be going in the animated category. Sean's already taken Toy Story. Chris has taken Ghost in the Shell, which was not going to be my second pick, but that's okay. So, um, you know what? Fuck it. Just Let's do, do it. it. This one goes out to all the 90s millennials. The true Devin Sawa fans, I'm taking Casper. Oh, my Thank God. Thank you. Wow. There we go. That's actually a really good pick. And yeah. I, I didn't even consider, even though I, I, I broke the mold by choosing Paddington in this category, thus allowing Casper to qualify. It's, you, you, you worked the system. So I, I have a question now in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Would Babe have been okay for for animated i don't think so okay that, I, I i gave this some thought because the those are actual pigs right they're not animated pigs the only are thing they? that's animated is the the mouth okay uh, i've never seen babe, is there, so there's like know. a percentage of like animation <laughs> that you have to um i think whatever. the creature if the creature's real it's not animation uh it's, okay okay you know what, what i'm saying the creature talks that's cool yeah I th- babe I, talks right yeah, yeah that's the point he, he talks yeah watch babe challenge with chris ryan chris ryan and the army watch babe together no i don't think so um <laughs> so there's a, there were some good foreign language films that we didn't even discuss this year you guys all went with animated which is really interesting but this was the year of lion the french film mm-hmm. chris were you not in the lion vibe i don't think i saw it really yeah which what the is vincent it? cassell movie about the only you in France and the the kind of no, like, I don't, I didn't see it. Oh my, oh, I've this is like it. this is one of the great kind of crime youth movies. Oh, really, I'm, I'm shocked. I haven't. 
okay. This is an amazing movie. This would have been my pick. Um, also, Fallen Angels, the Juan Carr White movie came out this mm-hmm. year, and The City of Lost Children, the Jean-Pierre Genet film. So there were some good foreign language movies, not a ton. I would not have gone Il Postino. Um, what else did we leave on the table? Because I have a list in Wildcard of a ton of movies that I really like that we never even discussed here. Yeah. So what, what are some notable omissions for you guys? <sighs> um, a couple of crime movies that I really liked from this year, uh, Clockers, Spike Lee's Clockers, who Spike Lee wound up directing that movie as a, a Virtual Price's novel instead of Nick Gomez. And uh, it was going to originally star, I think, Robert De Niro, but he dropped out and Harvey Keitel took over the main cop role. But really, uh, really solid um, adaptation of that novel. Devil in a Blue Dress is um, the Denzel Washington adaptation of the Walter Mosley novel is is great. Really good movie. Um, Basketball Diaries is really good. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of like really cool, gritty, smaller films. Uh, New Jersey Drive. Um, for me, though, actually, I actually really like Dead Presidents. But the one that I that the sort of noir crime movie that I was thinking about trying to finagle into comedy was Shallow Grave, which is Danny was Boyle's first movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and um, it's Ewan McGregor. It was like basically the first time Ewan McGregor popped off before Train Spotting and. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, I think, is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, a bunch of Scottish people living in a flat who discover a dead body in their apartment and everything goes wrong from there. It's like this really good, dark Hitchcock kind of comic movie, but it gets pretty pretty morbid after a while. That's a great movie. Amanda, what about you? Anything that was left on the cutting room floor that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I quite literally betrayed myself and my values because the American president is not in my draft. The American president was a 1995 movie. And the American president is, was also, I have told this story a million times, including on the rewatchables that we did this year, but I saw that movie in theaters four times with my dad, literally four times. We just decided to keep going. And I texted him. I think it was literally on election day um, this year. And he was not watching the cable news. He was just rewatching American president. So it, it, and obviously that was my first Sorkin, which is another area of interest to me. So that hurts, but I had to do Clueless and I didn't know where else really you could put American president. You know, I, Sean, I was really surprised that you didn't pick bad boys. And I also, you know, as a noted Will Smith fan, that one was very important to me. Um, and then the. I yeah. thought about it. I, I it, the thing is, is it it's not that good. Like, yeah, the rock and bad boys Two is really where Bay becomes Bay. Like, and it's bad boys is not bad, but bad boys Two is it's like awesome. a lot of Pantoliano yelling. Yeah. 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 Right. It's just yeah. not it, it's not his best. It, w- it was my number two pick behind usual suspects for wildcard. Right. It is important in the in the Will Smith origin story, which that's is true. Important to me also. And then, you know, what? there were again. Previously mentioned, I was 10 in 1995. So there were like a lot of kid movies that came out this year that I was never going to pick, but I would like to shout out um, the Babysitter's Club movie, which Mm -hmm. the real 1995-year-old elementary school kids know. Not going to sing the theme song, but you're singing it right now in your head. Now and Then, obviously, which is not a good movie if you're an adult, but as a a kid, once again, respect Devin Sawa in 1995. Extremely important. I thought that The Little Princess movie that came out that year was great as well um so i i don't know movies for children that aren't animated i like that they made those i watched them is the little princess movie the quaron movie yeah it is 
Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, this is the only podcast in America where you can hear talk of Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels and the Babysitter's Club movie. We really... <laughs> Say hello to your friends, Babysitter's Club. Wow. Yeah, here we go. What a twist. We, there are so many more. Um, speaking of formative experiences, one of the most formative experiences I had, I was a freshman in high school. This was a couple of years after this movie came out and went on a ski trip with a bunch of my classmates, many of whom were upperclassmen. And so I was the young kid, me and a, and a freshman went on the ski trip with a bunch of the older kids. Very exciting. Um, a lot of mayhem on this trip. A lot of trouble. And the, the, I knew there was going to be trouble because we took a bus to Vermont for this ski trip. And on the bus ride, they had those TVs perched in the corner every six or seven rows. And there was a video cassette player. And on a video cassette, we watched the movie Kids, the Larry Clark oh, movie. Oh, yeah. I can't believe that neither of you picked that. I thought about it. I'm not sure how it's like I a know. notable movie that I, it's a no- I never ever ever think be like what do I want to watch kids. It's it's a tough hang. Yeah. Um I it was a it was an amazing provocation for a teenager in the 90s but now I don't even know if you can find that movie. I now. would much rather watch Empire Records. Like I'm not like that, that was not as good of a movie. I was gonna mention. But it's like it I, yeah, kids is really rough. It's th- and those are like the two sides of the the youthful coin, right? Yeah. One being very kind of like mainstream and pop. I love Empire Records. It's I think that's a great movie. I've been lobbying for that movie on the rewatchables for years. A um, couple of others. Outbreak has been much discussed this year because of everything right. with the pandemic. Still a pretty good thriller, I think. Um, Safe, the Todd Haynes film, Todd Haynes. which is a great movie. I don't. It, that's the kind of movie that always kind of gets brushed aside because it doesn't fit neatly into any of the categories here. But that's really good. Another movie that I watched over and over again on VHS is Desperado, the Robert Rodriguez movie. Um, never, never seen it, Amanda? I don't think so. That's uh, Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. It's like, oh. a, it's like a crime movie set in Mexico where a mariachi is, is slash an assassin slash has to save a damsel. Oh, it's a really cool movie. Um, to Die For? Strange Days? Hackers? I don't know. Dolores Claiborne? The Net? Yeah, the net sucks. <laughs> the net is watch the net in 2020. That is have you tough. have you seen Strange Days recently? I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. It's not it's not widely available in the U.S. You can't even get yeah. it on Blu-ray in the U.S. Cat say Catherine Bigelow though, one of the greats, pushing the limits back in the 90s. What else? Anything else, Chris? That we didn't mention that you want to chat? <sighs> Anything else on my list? Um, no, I think we covered almost everything. You know, like oh, uh, I, for- I forgot one. Uh, Friday. Oh yeah, Friday is also a gem. Friday's great, hilarious movie. Oh, we didn't. Uh, Showgirls is nineteen ninety five, right? Mm. Oh yeah, I've never really yeah. been a part of the Church of Showgirls. I haven't either, but that it exists is notable. Yeah, you looking for your Showgirls DVD? Yeah, I don't know. If I, I think I remember being aware here. of Showgirls in nineteen ninety five because I was obviously like a huge part of the Saved by the Bell community, mm-hmm. and so Elizabeth Berkeley, aka Jesse Spano. Suddenly, like being in a movie that I I wasn't able to understand the nuances of the showgirls discourse at all. So that was that was confusing for me. We certainly named a lot of movies on this podcast. I'm going to run through all of our picks very quickly for the listeners. And um, we'll give you guys a chance to vote on this this week before the we year sure will. Uh, OK, Chris, you and Dominion will get to work on putting together the voting strategy. Here are the, the nominees. For the drama category, Chris selected Heat. I selected Casino. Amanda selected Kicking and Screaming. For the comedy and horror category, 
Chris selected Mallrats. I selected Billy Madison, and Amanda selected Clueless. For Blockbuster, Chris took Crimson Tide. I took Seven, and Amanda selected Apollo 13. For the animated or foreign language category, Chris selected Ghost in the Shell, a film he has not seen. I selected Toy Story, and Amanda selected Casper because she wanted to sleep with Devin Sawa in the 90s. For the sequel category, Chris selected DH with a V. That's Die Hard with a Vengeance. I selected Batman AKA Forever. Simon says. Simon. <laughs> and Amanda selected Golden High. And for the wild card category, Chris selected Before Sunrise. I selected The Usual Suspects. And Amanda went out with her fave Sense and Sensibility. So, great draft. Truly a representation of our souls, except for me having to pick Batman Forever, which sucked. Um, guys, this is our last big picture podcast of 2020 barring any emergency news i hope no one beautiful and wonderful in the world of film dies because that's probably the only thing that's going to drag us back to the podcast studio uh thanks so much to both of you guys for everything that you gave to the big picture this year uh you both made it really really fun i feel like we we discovered a new audience in part because chris set up a scheme to uh invent many new citizens of the world and uh My bots I'm, love to pod they I'm love <laughs> <laughs> but I'm grateful to, to to both of you for all you did for 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 trying to keep up and watch all the movies that I'm trying to watch every year and uh, for making this a really fun show to do. Thanks for letting me be me, man. I, Thanks, I feel Tom. my my best self on this pod. You guys crushed it. Bobby Wagner also crushed it throughout the year producing this show. Woo! Thank you, of course, to Wags. Wags, good job, buddy. Thank you, everyone. It's been my Bob, pleasure. I'm taking to Top Gun Two. Let's do it. <laughs> Liberate Top Gun Two. <laughs> we will be back. In the new year on this podcast, Amanda and I are doing what we always do at the beginning of January, which is that we are going to highlight the movies we are most looking forward to in 2021. We will see you then. Have a happy new year. <laughs>